the epistle of First John, not the gospel, but the epistle. And we are in chapter 3 this morning. Word of the Lord, beginning verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of sin, excuse me, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave his commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he has given us. We're uh, now at verse 11, and uh, very interesting, verse 11, as I studied it, realized it's much like the Gospel of John, particularly chapter 15, which we will be looking at uh, during this sermon. Uh, of course, they were written by the same persons, they were written by John uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's not surprising that it echoes what John had already written uh, in the Gospel. Now, John has 
previously talked about one mark of the devil's children is hatred, uh, hating other people. And now he's, uh, he goes back to that subject uh, later on, but at, in verse 11, uh, those few pass, in that passage there, he focuses on brotherly Christian love. Uh, this is the message, verse 11, which you heard from the beginning, uh, that we should love one another. We should love the Lord Jesus and love who he loves because of our love for Christ. Now what does it mean to have brotherly love? Does that mean everybody in church should be your best friend? No, obviously not. Uh, Sometimes they wouldn't be people that you would particularly want to associate with. Uh, Yet if they are believers, uh, we're commanded to love them. What does that mean? Are we... What is well? We know the definition of love from Scripture, uh, and uh, it's in James and, and other places as well. Uh, and it is to uh, first and foremost uh, treat them lawfully. Uh, you know, it's, if you if you steal from your neighbor, uh, you're you're not treating you're not loving him. So that's treating everyone, even your neighbor, even non-Christians, uh, is is. We are to love them by treating them according to God's law. But we are to have a special love for the brethren, or care for the brethren. We're going to talk about this uh, as we go on. Uh, he uses the example of Cain and Abel, and I'm going to, uh, again, save most of that uh, for a little bit later. Uh, but let's now look at Cain and Abel uh, in uh I'll tell you what. Let's let's not do that. I, I was going to do that, and let's uh, let's save that for when we focus more on King and Abel. Um, let's then go on to uh, verse thirteen. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. This is where we get into uh, what reminded me of John's gospel. If you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter fifteen, please. So in verse 13 of 1 John, he says, Marvel not, in 1 John 3, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. And he wrote in John chapter 15, actually, uh, he recorded the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, beginning in verse 18, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me, obviously Christ, before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Go down to chapter 16, verse 2. Christ continues, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will I do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. And then in John 17, 
Oh, well, let's go to 33 in John 16. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And in John 17, verse 14, Christ says, I have given them, that is all believers, thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And he says it again, he repeats that uh, a couple of verses later. Uh, the spirit of Satan, as shown in Cain, as, as we'll look at in a moment, uh, still exists in the world. Christ reminds us of that. So wonder not that the fallen world hates you and hisses at you and makes fun of you because you belong to the seed of the woman that was predicted in Genesis 3 that will bruise the serpent's crush the serpent's head. Um, by the world, where it says that if the world hate you, does that mean everybody in the world is going to hate you? No. The world here, again, is used in the Bible in different ways sometimes. It's clear by the context that the world here means the fallen world, unsaved people. It means the inhabitants, the wicked part of, uh, of the inhabitants of the world. They always hate Christians. Uh, they, they don't have cause to do that. Uh, they, because they're, because Christians are called out of the world, they cannot live the life that unbelievers do, so we shouldn't marvel not, it says. Don't, don't, don't think this is some, uh, amazing thing. Uh, it was from the beginning. It's always been that way. It's not something new. Uh, and it, there'll always be this way until the end of the world. Uh, just immediately on the fall, it went in the fall of the Garden of Eden, what happened? There was, Enmity, there was strife, there was anger between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Again, which showed itself in Cain. Um, Ishmael persecuted Isaac and, and many other examples of that uh, in Scripture. Uh, verse 14, we know that we have passed, this is in 1 John 3, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Well, here he says, this is, this is how we know one of the marks that we can know ourselves that we are Christians, is that we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Again, non-Christians do not love the brethren. Uh, but we have a, a care for the people of God. We want, we want them to grow in grace. We want to help uh, our fellow our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in regeneration, which is um, bringing, bringing you to life, basically, uh, from spiritual death to spiritual life, uh, a, a, a resurrection spiritually from the dead, uh, we live a life of sanctification and justification, faith in Christ. The Lord is our, our, our righteousness, a life of communion with Christ. And uh, passing from one to the other is not ourselves, of course, um, it's, it's of God. So that is part of what he's saying, to know that you're a Christian, uh, is to have this love for the brethren. Um, unless you're born again, you can't love the saints. Uh, now, a unsaved person might love a Christian, uh, you know, as a, as a good, good, might have good feelings for him, he might do favors for him, uh, he, he uh, uh, might 
sees some good qualities in a Christian that he admires. Um, but to love him as a child of God, uh, because he is formed in the image of God and his, uh, he has been saved, no one can do this unless he has received the grace of God. Uh, so that then, as a certain evidence, a certain evidence of of being saved, you know in your heart that you're saved when you when you love the brethren in Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life, and he that believeth not hath the wrath of God abiding on him. That's from uh, uh, John uh, Gospel, John verse. Uh, chapter 3, verse 36. Um, another way that we know that we are saved is that we have a concern for the unsaved. Unsaved people don't have a concern for the unsaved, obviously. They don't pray uh, for their salvation. Uh, they don't witness but if we witness, we care about people, we don't want them to go to hell, we want it, we want them to hear the gospel, that's an evidence in our own heart that we're saved by God. Because unsaved people have such concern about that. So again, there's there are certain things that we can do or we can see in our hearts that indicate that we are saved. Uh, but if we hate our brethren, uh, it's, it's, it's scripture says it's a sign that we are not saved, and that we're continually uh, under the law. Uh, and he that stands under the curse and condemnation of the law uh, is going to go to hell. And he argues this. Uh, John is, is setting up a logical uh, statement here. He says, "Whosoever in verse uh, um, well, verse fourteen, uh, we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him." He's saying, if no murderer has eternal life in him, he who hates his brother is a murderer, and therefore you can't but know that he who hates his brother has not eternal life abiding in him. Or if he abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and a murderer uh, at hatred, a person tends to want the extinction of that person, uh, carry as far as possible. Cain hated his brother, and then he slew his brother. Now, does this say that if you murdered someone that you're going to go to hell because of it? No, it's not saying that. Murder, the act of murder can be forgiven. You know, there are many examples of murderers who were converted to Christ later and their sins were forgiven. They may have had to go to an electric chair, which is, which is right and just because they violated God's law. But they, their souls were saved if they, if they were truly uh, converted. Uh, so it's not saying that uh, there's a sin that you can commit, like murder or whatever, that's going to send you to hell. And we've said quite recently that there's only one sin that can send you to hell, and that's not believing in Jesus Christ. Um, by, by its very nature, that's going to send you to hell. Uh, verse 16, Hereby proceed we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And that reminded me again of John chapter 15, the Gospel of John, verse 13. Greater in love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
what does that mean? We, we should die for uh, Christians. There are situations where we, we are called to do that. Some people have been called to do that. And certainly to suffer for other people, for the good of the church, uh, suffer for the safety and salvation of, of, of brethren in Christ. Yes. Uh, and exposing ourselves to hazards. Uh, yes. Paul said in Romans 16, who have for my life laid down their own necks, uh, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles, unto all the churches of the Gentiles, not by Romans. Not the way Christ laid down his life for us, that's how we're talking about, obviously. No, nobody can save another person by dying for them. Uh, but the meaning is saints ought to risk their lives, expose themselves to dangers, if that's going to help their brothers when they're called to it, as the case requires it. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila ventured their lives for the Apostle Paul uh, and uh, for the gospel gaining souls to Christ. Uh, the Apostles of Christ did, the martyrs uh, throughout history have, uh, for a testimony to, 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 script, uh, to the truth of the gospel. Let's. Uh, Let's take another look at Cain and Abel. Please look at Genesis chapter 4, first 16 verses. There's more to it, but I'm going to focus just on Genesis 4, first 16 verses. If you remember Cain and Abel, uh, remember this, this happened before the great flood before the Lord destroyed uh, the world, basically all air-breathing creatures in the world uh, with the great flood. Well, there was a world before that flood. And uh, Adam and Eve lived in that world, uh, and their, their children lived in the, in the world, uh, and uh, uh, Cain was one of their children, Abel was, was another, and had, uh, those two sons. And so let's read about what happened to them in chapter 4 in Genesis. I'm sure you all know the story, but uh, we should look at it again because there's some certain points that we need to make. Chapter 4 of Genesis, beginning in verse 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now there's some theologians, by the way, that speculate that she thought that this was the promised seed. This was the Christ. Uh, but that's, that's arguable. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wrong? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries to me from the ground. 
And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from, this, from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that finds me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. Well, there's certainly a lot there, and many sermons have been uh, preached on that uh, passage. Uh, and John, you know, toward the end, this is right at the beginning of the Bible, and right toward the end of the Bible, John, John in uh, chapter 3 of 1 John says, uh, in uh, verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. So Cain is identified as being of the people of Satan, and slew his brother. And where, why did he wherefore slew him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Well, it's puzzled many people exactly what, what, why did God punish Cain for bringing an offering of, of grain and uh, uh, fruit of the ground, uh, presumably grain, uh, or some something grows on the ground. And uh, why, why did God say not respect it, not have desire for it? Uh, and there's been a lot of speculation about this. Uh, the primary objection, obviously since the Lord didn't accept it, it wasn't done in faith. We, we have to kind of extract that from the, from the passage that the Lord didn't accept it, so it was not, was not done in faith. Uh, the we know in the Garden of Eden that after the fall, well, first of all, Adam and Eve were naked before the fall, and after the fall, they were embarrassed. They were naked, so they took leaves, big leaves from from a plant that that grew, a fig plant that had big leaves. And they made coverings, clothes, basically, themselves out of these leaves. Well, when God saw that, uh, he knew they had sinned, uh, so he made clothes for them. But he said, leaves aren't good enough. And what did he do? He made clothes out of the skins of animals. Blood was shed to, make, to cover their sinful state. That's the parallel. Blood was shed on the cross by Christ to cover our sins. And we see that in Genesis, in the very first in the Garden of Eden, we see that blood has to be shed to cover sins. And that's the lesson. What did Abel do? When he made an offering to God, he brought the sacrifice of an animal. Blood was shed. So, from the very first expulsion of the Garden of Eden, the sacrifice to God was was blood of an animal. Uh, 
we have a, a it's 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 veiled, but it, it, it's it's clear that that's the case. Now we don't know; it's not recorded in, in history, uh, the early history that that was passed down. But we know somehow Abel knew that that's that's what you're supposed to do. God must have told him in some way, or his parents told him that to to uh, to make an offering to God, there has to be shedding of blood. This is the first record we have of a sacrifice in the Bible, uh, other than what God did in the Garden of Eden. It's the first time a man sacrifices to God uh, was, was by Abel. So there was early a distinction among people. There are people of the world, the fallen, and there are people of God, the remnant of God. So very early on, we saw Cain as a representative of the seed of the serpent, which John tells us in 1 John, uh, not well, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. So he identifies him as of that wicked one. And Abel was the representative of the seed of the woman. And what, what I mean by the seed of the woman? Back in Genesis, God says uh, there will be a seed of the woman who will strike the serpent and crush his skull. And, and he will bruise his heel, uh, Christ's heel. Uh, it's, a, it's called a proto-gospel, if you want to know the term for that. Uh, and that the early, early on in the Garden of Eden, right after the fall, uh, God said there's going to be a Savior. There's only words. This is fatal again, but there's only words. There's going to be a Savior, and He's going to crush Satan's head. Satan will pierce his heel. In other words, he will, you know, people do do some hurt to him, but it's not like crushing your head. I mean, which, if you have the choice, would you want your head to be crushed or your heel bruised, right? So there's a totally, totally different meaning. Of those two. So Cain was the representative of the fallen people, of the unsaved people we, we have today, we've always had. Abel was a representative of the seed of the woman. Abel was God's elect. We're going to see Abel in heaven. We won't see Cain in heaven. Cain rejected Cain rejected uh, God, and he rejected the Christ in the in the sense that he understood that. Uh, but they both well, why didn't Cain just not do anything? Well, he wasn't that far gone. He wasn't that far down the drain at that point. Uh, Cain was probably proud and haughty. There's interestingly in verse 8 uh, in, in Genesis 4, it says that Cain and Abel talked. Those are what they talked about. So there's a lot there that we don't know. But they talked and then Cain slew Abel. I'm going to read to you what uh, Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon about this. And uh, we, we can't say this is verbatim what Cain and Abel talked about. But uh, uh, Spurgeon did come up with, I think, a, uh, an interesting uh, take on it. He, uh, he says, Cain was proud and haughty. Cain said, I'm ready to confess that the mercies which we receive from the soil are the gift of God, but I'm not ready to acknowledge that I am a guilty sinner deserving of God's wrath. And therefore, I will bring nothing but the fruit of the ground. Ah, but, said Abel, I feel that while I ought to be grateful for earthly mercies, at the same time, I have sins to confess. I have iniquities to be pardoned. And I know that without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions of sin. Therefore, said he, O Cain, I will not be content to bring an offering of the ground, either the ears of corn or first ripe fruits, but I will bring of the firstlings of my flock, and I will shed blood upon the altar. You know from scripture without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins. I will shed blood upon the altar because my faith is 
Again, this is Abel talking, supposedly. But there is to come a great victim, who is Christ, who is actually to make atonement for the sins of men, and by the slaughter of this lamb, I express my solemn faith in him. And we're assuming he brought a lamb, which I think is probably a likely assumption. Now Cain, he said, Spurgeon said, cared nothing for Christ. He was not willing to confess his sin. He had no objection to presenting a thank offering, but a sin offering he would not bring. He did not mind bringing to God that which he thought might be acceptable as a return for favors received. Well, God does good things for me, I'll thank him for that. But he would not bring to God an acknowledgement of his guilt or a confession of his inability to make atonement for it except by the blood of his substitute. Spurgeon goes on, I'm going to close with Spurgeon's words, which are better than mine. Abel stood by the side of the altar. He boldly presented there the bleeding lamb as a testimony to all men, both at that time and for all future times, that he believed in the seed of the woman, that he looked for him to come who should destroy the serpent and restore the ruins of the fall. Abel is to be greatly honored for his confidence and faith in the coming Messiah. What did Abel bring? He brought a sacrifice which showed the necessity of bloodshedding, but Christ brought the bloodshedding itself. Abel brought but the type and the figure, the lamb which was but a picture of the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. But Christ was that lamb. He was the substance of the shadow, the reality of the type. Abel's sacrifice had no merit in it apart from the faith in the Messiah with which he presented it. But Christ's sacrifice had merit of itself. It was in itself meritorious. The blood of Christ was a sacrifice indeed, richer far than all the blood of beasts that ever were offered upon the altar of Abel or on the altar of all the Jewish high priests. We may say of all the sacrifices that were ever offered, how costly they might be, and however acceptable to God, though there were rivers of oil and tens of thousands of fat beasts, Yet they were less than nothing and contemptible in comparison with the one sacrifice which our high priest hath offered once for all, whereby he hath eternally perfected them that are sanctified. Let's go ahead and pray. Indeed, Father, we thank thee for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of his people. And Father, to contemplate that. Such a great sacrifice that thou would have thy son, thy only beloved son, suffer and die on the cross. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Penetrate our hearts with the truth of thy Father. Humble us to live according to thy will. And forever grateful for such a great salvation. Father, we uh, ask thy blessings upon our families, Father, uh, upon the parents who are raising godly children. We ask, Father, that those that blessings would continue, Father, and, uh, and uh, instruct us and, uh, and bring up children uh, in fear and virtue of the Lord. And Father, continue to instruct our children to be obedient, to be uh, learning, to be open to and give them a thirst for the truth of thy word, Father. Uh, a thirst for fellowship with other Christians. Uh, 
thirst for the salvation of the lost, Father, and passion to bring all they come in contact with to Christ. Uh, fill their hearts with, uh, with Scripture, Father. Protect us now as we uh, venture back to our homes, oh, Father, and uh, let us uh, honor this day as, as the Lord's Day, Father. And be with us this week as we uh, uh, do the duties that Thou has assigned to us uh, in this world, Father. Bring those into our path who need to hear the good news of the gospel. 